Welcome to the 1000 Hours Outside podcast. My name is Ginny Urich. I'm the founder of 1000 Hours Outside, and I'm so excited to be sitting today with Dr. Morgan Cutlip. Welcome. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here and chatting with you. I think your story is so cool because you have the stuff that you do with your dad, and I just think that's so special and unique. But Dr. Morgan Cutlip is, is an expert on mothering and relationships. You have courses and podcasts and the co-founder of My Love Thinks, and you have a master's in human development and family science, which I didn't even know was a thing. <laughs> yeah, I know. A doctor in counseling psychology, mother of two wild kids, wife of her high school sweetheart, so sweet, and lifelong lover of all things relationships. So Morgan, welcome. Thank you. <laughs> I'm so glad that you're here. You have a book that will be out by the time this airs called Love Your Kids Without Losing Yourself. Mm-hmm. What a topic. It's the subtitle, Five Steps to Banish Guilt and Beat Burnout When You Already Have Too Much to Do. This is like for all of us, right? It totally is. So can you start off by telling us your story? I, lo- I love your story. Like you talk about how you <laughs> thought you were going to be like a top 100 mom because <laughs> of your background. Oh, Tell us gosh. what happened. Oh, okay. And I'm like, how far back do you want me to go? I, I I mean, my story really starts in my work with my dad. He's a doctorate in psychology as well. We started working together many, many years ago. I was traveling with him to conferences in high school, speaking with him in college. Well, how did that start? Yeah. That's an interesting thing. I think that yeah. a lot of times people follow in their family business, but a lot of times they don't. Yeah. So where did that interest spark? Was it in high school and middle school? a good question. Yeah, because my sister is a nurse. So she like went different, way different. And then I followed in my dad. I think it was a social experiment. probably. (laughs) So when I was really little, I actually started in elementary school. He went back to school to get his doctorate. And I would go to classes with him sometimes, which is crazy because I ended up in the same doctoral program that he did. They didn't realize, I don't think that we were related. And I had, there was one teacher that was remaining from when he went to school. And I actually went to that class with him, took notes, and then had her as a professor later, which is bananas. So I think part of it is, is he would play this game with me when I was little where when we'd be in a long car ride and he would give me a case, you know, of course he changed the details. So he didn't, <laughs> didn't break any rules, but he'd be like, here's a family. Here's what's going on. Here's the little boy is my client. Like, how would you help him? This was my most favorite game to play with my dad. I think it was a real time of connection for us. And just like, fostered in me this interest in relationships and dynamics in relationships. And I liked the problem solving aspect. And so, yeah, yeah, I mean, I feel like I was just brought up in it. It feels like I've been doing this my whole life. So fast forward, I knew that I wanted my own credentials. I wasn't going to just like piggyback on my dad's work. And so I went and got my my master's degree in in like, we don't even know this exists type of thing. I kind of felt similarly. Uh, And then uh, my doctorate in psychology. And it was probably my sophomore year in college where I'd said to my dad, you know, someday I want to do something to help women. That's what I want to spend my time and my my career doing. And I didn't know what it looked like. We we worked a lot with singles. I thought it would be around helping women choose partners. And then fast forward even further, and our daughter Effie was born. She's 10 now, which is mind-blowing. <laughs> and I went into motherhood like you mentioned, thinking I was going to crush it. I was like, this is my calling. I was made for this. I have a degree for this. I'm credentialed. <laughs> like, I, I really thought I knew exactly what I was doing. Uh, I have good parents. I have a good mom. All of the makings of what I think in the book, I'm like, all the makings of a top 100 mom. And man, was I wrong. I was 
I don't know if it's naive, but I think of a lot of us feel this way where we are so caught off guard. And I know I was by the loss of freedom, by the amount of responsibilities, by how my husband and I, who have known each other a very long time, were like um, not that good at navigating the shift in our relationship. And um, we had some you know, circumstances with his job and getting relocated that made it a little extra challenging at that time. But I just felt I was regularly falling short. And I think part of it was my expectations were so dang high. And so I knew, I knew I wouldn't feel like this forever. And so I kind of made this internal promise to myself that when I came out of this fog, that I wanted to help moms navigate motherhood in a new way. So if I feel this way, a lot of us feel this way. Mm -hmm. And so I want moms to navigate it feeling more empowered. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's a beautiful book with incredible suggestions and lots of times where you feel heard and seen. Mm -hmm. Like you even start off the book where you talk about common struggles. So here's an example of one. You feel like you spin your, through your day at warp speed, but never feel like you're enough or that you get enough done. Yeah. So this is like, oh yeah, I think that we all feel like this way. Or you're weary and exhausted and you're sick of the typical take a walk type of advice. Actually, the one I related to the most, Morgan, mm-hmm. and I related to almost all of them, when you have a moment to yourself, you have no <laughs> idea how to spend it. You're like, you're frozen. You're like, totally (laughs) stuck. Like, what am I supposed to do? And then you're the whole time, you're like, well, maybe I shouldn't have done this. Maybe I should have done that. And then it's over. It's that I have, um, (laughs) I have made a a piece of content around that particular struggle in like many different iterations. Mm -hmm. Every time it does well, this idea of like, we finally get that precious time. And we're like, do I do laundry? Do I clean the kitchen? Do I take a nap? Do I read a book? Do I pursue a hobby finally? Like, do I like, mm-hmm. do I exercise? Do I shower? Like, what do I do? And then they're back. And you're like, gosh, <laughs> I really didn't get anything done. <laughs> what if we start there? Yeah. What would you say to a mom who is in that situation? I tend to be a bigger picture thinker. And so sometimes these black and white pieces of advice are like, oh, I struggle a little bit to give that because I think it's different for every single person, which is what I'm trying to help moms do in this book, which is start to become more in touch with themselves because part of the issue is we make our needs small and we kind of have to in the beginning. So I don't want to say that's a bad thing. I think when our kids are first born, especially it's like we if we don't make our needs small, our baby might not make it like we have mm-hmm. to. But we get so accustomed to doing that, that before we know it, they're kind of kind of disappeared. You've kind of disappeared. And we're like, we don't even know what we need anymore. Mm-hmm. And so part of the way back is learning how to regularly kind of check in on ourselves and ask ourselves, what do we need? And this will help us start to shape a new outline, I suppose, that we can access in these moments when we have some time, but also to tap into like, what's going to really fill us up the most in this moment? Because sometimes Mm -hmm. it's going to be doing that load of laundry. And sometimes it's going to be sitting down and escaping in a book and and filling your mind Mm -hmm. with something totally different. And so it's really about learning how to access um, yourself again and turning and mm-hmm. tuning into you. I do have one simple hack though. Yeah. I think that one of the easiest ways to get at what we need is to look at what we complain about the most. Mm-hmm. I think complaints are a window into unmet needs. If you're like, I don't know where to start, just start there. What are you complaining yeah. about? Is it time? Is it the mess around the house? Is it time with friends? Mm-hmm. What are the complaints that are coming up most often for you? Well, and I think if you just do something, and I think this is to your point about knowing yourself better, I think this is part of the journey, right? As a mom, all of a sudden things are so different. I completely related with caught off guard by how much freedom I lost. You say one of the most difficult aspects of becoming a mother is the loss of freedom. So you're in this spot where you really are 
if you're having these feelings that you've never had before. So how can you really know yourself unless you start to try different things? And so all of those ideas that you gave, which was like laundry or seeing a friend or sitting to read a book or taking a bath or taking a nap or whatever, I think we can't expect that we should know. Yeah. I think you just have to try it. Yeah. And I love that that's a theme of the book. Get to know yourself better and get to know yourself again or get to know yourself really in this new way. I had heard this poem. It's so beautiful. Oh, I'm not going to be able to give credit to the person because I can't think. But the, <laughs> the point, maybe I'll put it in the show notes. The point was like getting to know, she was talking about like being in the moment in this time with kids. She was writing a letter to her husband mm. and she talked about getting to know each other for a third time is what she said. Mm -hmm. So we Mm -hmm. first got to know each other before kids. Then we got to know each other with kids. And then we're going to have to learn to get to know each other without kids. And this is like our life too. Like we we got, we knew each other before kids. Who are we now that we have these kids? And so you, I think we have to have grace basically. Total. Oh gosh. We need so much grace. I think in, in all of our relationships and including our relationship with ourselves. So I, what you're saying is so key. And I think that if we were to tell moms, what is something to really get to know? One of it is to really think about the prompt, the mother I thought I would be is, and to get to know the mom that lives inside of you. Because when we are, from the moment we're born through all of our growing up experiences, we are absorbing messages about what it means to be a good mom, what it means to be a mother, what we see with our own caregivers, what we see in the movies, in society, what we learn maybe at church or at school. All of these messages live inside of us. And this is going to point back to this poem, which I love that concept, but um, it lives inside of us. And then it doesn't really come out until we become a mom. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, these expectations that we actually didn't really know were existing within us come out to be standards that we're holding ourselves to. We do the same mm-hmm. for our partners after kids. Mm-hmm. We don't see them as a parent until we have children. And so we're like, all of a sudden, why is that bugging me about you? Well, it's been living inside yeah. of you, but it didn't get activated until we were in this new role. And so I think, you know, we don't think about the type of mom we imagine ourselves to be until it's almost like too late and we're feeling like we're falling short of that standard. And so it's really important to kind of take a minute and unpack that and it will reveal some of these standards you're holding yourself to. Yeah, I love at the end of the book, it was one of my favorite parts where you had a, a how to know yourself deeply, a deeper dive. Yeah, And it was like the several pages of really trying to understand like and putting it all together, like what are my anchors and I just think this is such an important concept to learn now because then I do think we're going to have to do it again. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Once the kids are grown and out of the house. So I think it's just being aware that it's normal, I think, to be completely frozen and not know yeah. what to do when you have six minutes. Yes. And so I think you just do something. And by doing something, then you learn like, okay, yeah, that was it. Nope, that didn't do it for me. I should have tried something else. And you get another chance. I like I like the idea of being like an experimenter in your own life. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what you're saying is like just experiment. See what fills yeah. you up. See what, if you if you don't know, move, move. And I say that in the book too. Um you sometimes you have to act before you feel ready. You have to behave different before you feel ready. And I think mm-hmm. That um, comes into play in a lot of different areas in motherhood, even making mom friends, for example, or things like that. So yes, to embrace the idea of being an experimenter in your own life, try things out. I do this in my relationship all the time, actually, and it's been really powerful. And then also, sometimes you got to behave before you feel ready. And when you Mm -hmm. have that win or you have that moment of like, oh, something shifted, I'm feeling a little bit better, it's motivation to continue and to keep going. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if you have your, if you frame it that way, I love that. 
if you frame it the way of I'm an experimenter for the sake of knowledge, mm -hmm. then it doesn't feel so dire. Right. I think sometimes you think, oh, I'm going to lose this opportunity. But no, because you're experimenting and you're learning about yourself more and you have knowledge that you didn't have at the beginning. One of the things I really related to also that you don't expect is this concept of she fault <laughs> instead of <laughs> default. I never heard that before. It's so clever. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, I can. I sadly, I cannot take credit for this one. This comes from Eve Rodsky, and she talks about it in her book, Fair Play, but it's around the concept of the mental load, which is that invisible running to-do list that the majority of the time is carried by moms and women in the household. And um, this list of stuff takes up cognitive real estate. It um, is reoccurring, so it just like, never really ends. And it is invisible a lot of times. So it becomes a real challenge. But um, she fault is basically that in motherhood, a lot of this and even in um, partnerships, but specifically in motherhood, a lot of this stuff tends to just default to us. And so not only are we making our needs really small in the beginnings of motherhood because we got to care for this baby, but because we often are the she fault as well, very quickly, a lot of the extra demands that come with having children and having a baby fall to us. And before we know it, we can be weeks into motherhood and be like, I'm buried. Like, I am so buried by all of this stuff. I'm a big believer that that we have to have plans for things. It's not like mm -hmm. a real like sexy way of talking about life and relationships, but we do need plans for how to navigate this stuff. That's what I, what I try to give moms in this book. Mm -hmm. I love that you would just give the wording. And I think the wording is so important. Like, cause sometimes I'm like, well, if I said something, I'm going to come across as sounding like, <laughs> like I'm really <laughs> complaining or I'm really like, ah! but you say, just to say our schedule and all I'm carrying feels unsustainable. Let's set up a time to talk about it and find a better distribution. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's great wording. So you could write on your hand because sometimes <laughs> I think people don't really understand it. Like, you're trying to also juggle like everyone's social life and you're trying to juggle like how do we meal plan and this kid wants to change a room and yeah. where are we going to get the bed and where are we going to get the bedding and oh my who's gosh. going where and when are we going to paint and she wants this and that kid wants to date and what are our rules and I, <laughs> it's like you know. it's so much stuff yeah I think we yeah. need to normalize this idea of touching base and talking about things like the mental load because it's constantly changing. And that that's one of the, you know, principles of my book that I hope really comes through, which is this idea that we're never going to really hit this cruising altitude in our relationships and stay there forever. So, you know, I think that we're fed this belief. It's like in our Western society, probably that we can like achieve balance in our relationships. And so it's like, if we just turn the right dials, someday we'll get there. And then when we do get there, because we do for like a minute, and then we fall out of balance or we become just kind of like a mess or something. We're like, what's wrong with me? I'm doing all of the things. And mm. I think, you know, something I'm really hoping comes through in the book from moms is that, you know, listen, you're going to lose yourself in motherhood probably over and over and over again. But do you know how to recalibrate so you can reconnect to yourself and come back? And it's the same in our partnerships. You know, you cannot reach a cruising altitude because turbulence is up ahead and, you know, the holidays yeah. and, you know, the room switches like you're talking about and all the normal and beautiful and exciting and sometimes painful parts of life are going to regularly pull at our connections in our relationships give us more obstacles to try to deal with. And that's mm -hmm. normal, but we have to get good at managing these relationships. Mm -hmm. When the skies open up while others seek shelter, I embrace the rain. Heading to my favorite hike, 
The raindrops are like a soothing melody, and my Vessies ensure each step is dry and comfortable, turning a simple outing into a rather delightful experience. Whenever my kids and I are stepping into a great outdoors adventure, I love wearing Vessies Stormburst boots to capture the beauty of springtime landscapes. Their robust style is perfect for our nature excursions, adding a little dash of elegance to our outdoor explorations. This spring, transform how you view wet weather with Vessi. Their Dymatex technology makes their shoes not just waterproof, but a stylish barrier against rain and puddles. Whether it's a sudden downpour or a planned seaside walk, Vessi shoes ensure your feet stay dry and comfortable. Embrace the essence of spring with Vessi. From chic city walks to adventurous treks, find the perfect pair for your lifestyle at Vessi.com outside and enjoy an automatic 15% off your first order upon checkout. That's V-E-S-S-I dot com slash outside for 15% off your first order. I have been looking for simple ways to form healthy habits and get the nutrients my body needs when my immune system feels unsupported. And that's why I decided to give AG1 a try. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics and more, but it's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day. And it makes me feel nourished and ready to face the day. As a parent, longevity is on my mind more than ever before. I want to make sure I'm taking really good care of myself so I can continue to show up for the moments that matter with my kids. Every day, AG1 helps me build long-term health with daily nutrients that support brain, gut, and immune health. All it takes is one scoop a day, and I'm setting myself up for the long run. AG1 is a supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why I'm excited to welcome them as a new partner. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash 1000. That's drinkag1.com slash 1000. Check it out. And our expectations, I did really like that in your book. They're basically like, this is like a constant tweaking. Yes. Don't expect it to be anything different. Yes. Because things are always in flux and things are always changing. So you're always trying to learn more about yourself, learn more about your kids, tweak. And when you talk about the mental load, it reminds me of the part where you talked about willpower. Mm. Because I think like we, it's like we view ourselves as having maybe a bigger capacity than we actually <laughs> do. And your yeah. willpower can get used up. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, I did a I actually did a video once used a tape measure to try to um, give like an example visual for this. And so I'll try to explain it. But willpower is a, a concept in psychology that has like many, many names. But um, the simplest is just calling it energy, we can call it an energy. And um, every single person has a different amount of this. And it gets used up throughout the day. And so, for example, if you're going to start out the day with a, like your maximum capacity of willpower or energy, that means you got a full night's sleep. So right off the bat, a lot of times, us ma I was up with a fire alarm like five times last night at four in the morning. <laughs> it's like, us moms, we're always dealing with like sleep yeah. stuff, it seems like, especially in those early years. So you're working with less capacity already. And just to be clear, willpower um, is what we tap into to like do so all sorts of things, make mm -hmm. decisions, uh, regulate our emotions to um, basically like 
all the things that we do as moms through the day, organize things, plan things, um, research stuff, us tapping into our willpower, dealing with critical thoughts about ourselves. So we all have different capacities. Mm-hmm. We start the day with a certain amount of capacity, depending on like, for example, the amount of sleep and stuff we got. And then all through the day, you're using it up. And so it's like, if you're getting ready for school and you're going through that school struggle, getting the shoes on and out the door on time, you're using up some of this willpower. So I used the tape measure. It kept kind of shrinking. Mm-hmm. And this is why usually by the end of the day, um, moms are like, get me to bedtime because we are so done. We are out of it. So if we yeah. do not make micro adjustments, we don't do these assessments through the day, check in on ourselves and tweak it. We're never mm-hmm. replenishing our willpower because that's the other piece about it is that um, you can strengthen it. You can add to it. Mm-hmm. You can rest and recharge and do different things that will start to strengthen your willpower and increase it. And so mm-hmm. if you're just using it up through the day, by the end of the day, you're going to be zapped. Right. So we need to learn how to pay attention to that. Yeah. Well, what's coming out a lot is that in other cultures, I just read it in the Blue Zones book by Dan Buettner. And I was just talking to this woman named Sally Clarkson, who does tea this every, is so like, <laughs> is she wonderful? We're yeah. just talking to her. She said every single day they do tea at three. And in the Blue Zones book, this Dan Buettner talks about these people that are living to be 100. They all, they take a 20 or 30 minute nap or they have a siesta or they have a tea time. And I think it would seem that 15 or 20 minutes or 30 minutes isn't enough, but the research and the thought there is you're replenishing. Maybe you don't even need a full replenishment, but like a little bit. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, we know like some of the stuff I feel like is tricky because it's become so talked about that we sort of um, numb out to it because it sounds cliche, but stress is very, very, very hard on our bodies, on our health, on our emotional state. Um, it is We have a physiological response. And so that is really damaging to our immune system. There's all these things, right? Or can mm-hmm. be really damaging. So when we are paying attention to our willpower and taking care of that, when we are replenishing and resting through the day, we're allowing our body to come into a relaxed state, which has like multiplicative positive effects. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it, it just makes sense. <laughs> That's helpful. I love that, Morgan. Take care of our willpower. Yeah. That's a great thing to think. I've never thought about that. But yeah. it seems like it's coming out like that. This is really important. And this is helping people live longer and helping them connect. So mm-hmm. really important things to know that you don't have an unlimited supply. <laughs> you got to protect it a little bit. Okay, what about this concept? I loved it throughout the book about symbiosis. You had such a cool thing about the flowers and the bees. And I had no idea. Oh, yeah. The flowers can hear the sound of buzzing? What? But you're talking about how in society, there is this pervasive view that kids are a total drain. But you are saying something different. Tell us. Yeah, I think that there's this belief, unfortunately, that motherhood sort of takes more than it gives, that we have these children who are like parasites, just sucking the life out of us day after day. And we just got to survive till, you know, all of the things, the wine culture, to survive till we get to that glass of wine at the end of the night or um, survive till we finally make it to school and get rid of our kids for the day or, and there's nothing, you know, we all need a break. Like, I understand that's not judging that, but at the same time, that mentality, I think, can be really damaging. And also, I think it's missing a really um, just important aspects of motherhood, which is that I believe motherhood is mutually beneficial and mm-hmm. that it's expansive and in a number of ways. So I do draw the parallel to bees and flowers because bees and flowers work together. 
to help each other thrive. And I believe that we do the same in motherhood with our kids. You know, I think about all of the ways that my kids have sort of required that I step up and work on things that have been unhealed and me or that needed attention. They shine a real bright light on that. And I think that's sometimes the painful part of parenthood. Um, but if we're up for the work and for doing, you know, kind of the self-reflection piece, we will become better people because of our children. And in turn, we will be better able to show up for my, mm. our kids and help them grow in important ways. And so I see it as a relationship that is um, that is mutually beneficial, that does give back to us. And that is really important to our development. I was listening to your interview with um, Michaeline, mm -hmm. and she was talking about um, helping kids find uh, like a state of calm and how like um, practicing awe and wonder. And like, I was like, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Because as the parents were practicing calm, they're teaching their kids to practice calm. And would the parents do that if it weren't for their kids? I don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's that yeah. it's that heightened emotional state of their kids that prompts them to really find and tactics to find their own calm. So it becomes this like, we're both growing together. And I think yeah. that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. It forces it. It forces yes, it. it. Does. I, it does. I feel like before I became a mom, I didn't grow at all. <laughs> I just stuck with the things that I was already good at for yeah. 27 years. I just did that. I was already good at this. I was already good at that. And then all of a sudden, <laughs> you're not good at it. And, you know, I related to your story, you know, thinking I was planning on being really good at it, but then you grow. And I love that you even talked about the fetal cells from the unborn yeah. baby. Yeah, that's from a book called Mom Genes, which is really cool. But she talks about even, um, you know, there are fetal cells that are often left in our bodies that help our in our systems heal inside of us. Our physical bodies are healed by the wow. fetal cells left behind from our kids. And I think that, um, again, we, we just don't think of motherhood and parenthood in that way very often. And I think just having these simple shifts in mindset can be really powerful for how mm -hmm. we approach our, our children and um, motherhood in general. Mm -hmm. This was really a powerful stuff, really powerful stuff. I love that. You, you talked about these women, like you said, from the mom jeans book that are in their 50s and 60s. And some of them still had detectable leftover fetal cells from their babies that made them less likely to die of virtually everything. It's crazy. So that's cool. The symbiosis. Mm -hmm. yes. Fantastic. It's good to know it does. It helps you to change your perspective and not be quite so grumpy. So <laughs> it's, it's great. Okay. So then you talk about the relationship attachment model, which is something that you've been working with your dad for a long time. He wrote a book called How to Avoid Falling in Love with a Jerk. Yes. Which is a great <laughs> title. That's fantastic. But Part of this has to do with these different bonds. And I thought your stories that you told about the different bonds to kind of explain them made it so clear Good. to understand. So let's just talk about a few of those. You started with the know, mm -hmm. and we're talking about knowing ourselves and knowing our kids. And you told the story about your son. <laughs> and when she said he's like an entirely new kid, oh. you're like, no, no. <laughs> well, yes. So what happened there? Oh. That was such a painful time. So the story, um, it's, sorry, I'm getting distracted because I actually went to a live event recently and I ran into um, a woman who worked at my son's preschool at the time. And I was like, wow. oh, I talk about this in my book. So um, <laughs> it was really, really interesting uh, to have that experience. But so our son uh, was um, in preschool and um, he's a highly sensitive kid. And that comes with a lot of wonderful things and also a lot of extra challenges. And um, he was having some issues at school uh, in terms of like coming home. Oh, he's also an 
amazing storyteller. So I feel like I'm constantly trying to determine what's fact or fiction with this kid um, because he just has these really wild details. So always telling me stories at school of being chased, um, of kids um, trying to get him um, sort of stories with a theme. So um, what happens is I get called into school one day to talk to the administrator. Um, and of course, you know, that sends any mom in a panic or I'm like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, what's happening? Wow. Um, so I race up to the school and um, met with his teacher and with the administrator and um, said, oh, you know, Roy hit a kid today with a block, which mm. oof, that's not good. Not my yeah. proudest, proudest experience as a parent. And um, but also don't so many kids do that. So so many kids do that. <laughs> yeah. So, so many I mean, kids it is do a, that. Like a phase. Yeah. Yeah. It's a thing. Um, mm-hmm. And actually, it wasn't really like a hitter. So I was kind of like, this seems very out of character. Mm-hmm. Um, and also at school, he is one of those kids who is just like, I am the best listener at school. Like he's very Ooh. well behaved at school. Very, very yeah. proud of this at school. So um, I sit through a lecture. I sit through a lecture of, you know, um, you need to teach him to identify his feelings and express his feelings and, you know, all these different things. And I talk about my struggle in that moment. Like, wait, wait, like, I have a family science degree. <laughs> I have a doctorate. Do I, do I, do I share my, you know, do I wave that credential flag in the moment or does that make me look like I really stink at what I do? So, and then my, then the administrator's like, oh, you know, I know Roy used to wear costumes to school. He dressed up as the greatest showman for like, three months. Um, and then it was into capes. And so then the, the administrator was like, um, I know he wears superhero capes. I don't know what kind of violent shows you're watching at home. Which I was like, oh, he's little, like we're not watching any of these shows. He just likes to dress up. And so I sat through it for a while mm-hmm. and, um, there are things too, like he's not doing, he's doing only parallel play. This seems he's not developmentally, um, in the right place. He barely speaks at school. So I sit there for a while and eventually I say, um, hey, do you notice that Roy ever curls up in the fetal position at school? His teacher's like, oh, yeah. Like he actually does that quite a bit. I'm like, mm-hmm. okay. I go, the morning, he, you know, they hit the, the kid with the, the block. I'm just curious. Did that boy knock down something Roy had built? Because the story of our beginnings at school is that I would stick around with Roy in the morning mm-hmm. until he felt comfortable. And usually we'd build something. And that day we built a tower about as tall as he was. And there was a little boy who kept kind of taunting us. He was just like, I mean, he might have such a good mm-hmm. visual. He was just kind of like hovering. And, he's, and I was yeah. like, don't you knock down this tower? <laughs> And they're yeah. like, well, actually, yeah, you know, he did knock down his tower. And so that's when Roy hit him with the block. And so I said, okay, the fetal position piece is his way of regulating. He's done it since he was a baby. This is not like I didn't teach him to curl up into a ball, but it's also when he feels unsafe. I want to share with you some of the stories about how Roy talks about school. I talked about how he talks, um, you know, how he's being chased and how he's feeling kind of mm-hmm. in danger. I go, the, I don't know what the reality is, but the, sto- the theme is that he feels unsafe and has a lot of anxiety at school. This response was an anxious, angry, unsafe response. And anxiety comes out as anger a lot of times, especially in boys. And so I don't think he feels safe here. And I think you see him as a bad kid. And that's probably how you're treating him. And of course, we're going to talk about what happened. I mean, of course, I'm going to talk to him about this. But talking about big feelings and things like that is a regular conversation in our home. Yeah. And so finally, the administrator said, that's, I get it. I got an idea. I'm so sorry. They switched him to a smaller class. And um, I followed up with her a week and a half later or something along those lines. And um, she's like, oh, my gosh, Roy hasn't stopped talking. He's telling me all sorts of stories. His vocabulary is really impressive. He's a totally new kid. And my point Mm -hmm. in the book is that 
No, he wasn't a new kid. He was Mm -hmm. the same kid. The difference is that I know my son deeply. And so Mm -hmm. I am able to help meet his needs in the ways that are most valuable and important to him. The school wasn't getting to know him deeply. They weren't curious. Um, Mm -hmm. They were casting him in a particular light and that's how he was being treated and his needs weren't being met. And so um, the concept in that in that story and in that chapter is when we know ourselves deeply, we're better able to meet our needs in the ways that matter most. Mm-hmm. What a story and really illustrated. And then you had the one about Effie for trust. And I, mm. I really related to this one. I think from being a teacher and I don't know, just growing up and I remember I would have students, oh, well, I taught math, right? So yeah, this is one of those subjects that for an entire lifetime, people either think they're good at it or they're bad at it and they don't tend to change. And so you get all sorts of kids that are 14 years old that say, I'm not good at this right off the Mm -hmm. bat. And they've had these experiences throughout their life. And I I mean, I remember I had students who would say, the teachers would say right to them, you're not any good at this. It's absolutely crazy. What's happening here? But you have this story with your daughter Mm -hmm. while you were in the classroom And this is the one about trust. So can you talk us through that one and how we change maybe the stories that we tell ourselves about ourselves? Do you want me to share the whole story or just give the cliff notes? Whatever you feel. So the, I'll tell you the gist of the story. You're highlighting something that I really I like, the, like this part of my book, but all of the main core points I first illustrate in relationship to to chill, to our kids. So I tell stories mm-hmm. about my own kids because um, I think that it's easier for us to think about how we care for our kids than it is to think about how we care for ourselves. And so mm-hmm. first I apply it to kids, then I apply it to us. So in the second step, which is trust accurately, I tell a story about Effie in um, first grade and it's it like leads into the decision um, that we made to eventually homeschool and things like that but Effie developed a lot of anxiety uh, being in first grade with her particular teacher the environment was a really really big class and um, I happened to be in class one day I volunteered once a week doing the math facts which I hated doing the math facts I was a bad guy I'm like oh it's so stressful for these little guys. Um, and, you know, I witnessed. Wait, oh, it's like, why are they doing that? This, what? They have a calculator. I don't. It's interesting to me. <laughs> it's interesting to me just because we didn't do any schooling for our kids until they were seven. So that's second yeah. grade. Nothing yeah. like not. I mean, we learn. They certainly learn because we're sure, living and sure. we're playing and we're talking and we're reading. And I'm sure they knew their numbers. They knew how to add things up, but it wasn't anything formal like that. And yeah. they're like, fine. Yeah, it's fine. You know, like our oldest is 15 and like, he's fine. He's fine. So it's so hard They in these stressful situations and they're I so know. little. They were so, I mean, there were, I mean, the amount of tears. It was, it was very hard for me to witness, but the class was huge. So they would do stations. Um, I think a lot of teachers do stations to manage. It's makes sense. Um, but Effie just, her anxiety had increased so much. Um, we were like this obsessive thinking started to develop. And I know that sometimes this is a bit um, normal developmentally to develop this kind of self-awareness at this age mm-hmm. um, that can increase anxiety. But it was just like next level um, and very different than her normal temperament. So I just happened to be in class one day where they switched stations and Effie froze like a deer in headlights. And I watched the teacher snap her fingers right in front of her face and say like what are you doing are you anybody went home in there basically and um i was like oh my word if she's doing this while i'm here what mm. happens when i'm not here 
And yeah. um, what the the point of the story though is is that Effie had sort of adopted this caricature of herself in her mind as being she called it a slowy. I'm just slow, mom. Like it's it's it shut her down in many areas mm-hmm. of life and at home. And so what I do in the book is I walk through how we restructured the way she thinks about herself to Mm. be more accurate. Sometimes she moves slow. That's a beautiful thing. I love, she flat smells the flowers like that. Don't we all need Mm. to move a little bit more slowly, but she's not a slowy. It's not the defining person that she is. This really applies to moms too, because we create these internal pictures of ourselves that a lot of times are really focusing in on the ways that we fall short, on the ways that we're not the mom we thought we'd be, on the ways mm-hmm. that we um, didn't you know, level up to our children's needs that day or how we didn't create mm-hmm. a fully stimulating environment for our kids in this moment or whatever. All of these things that we regularly zero in on create feelings of guilt, shame, um, and feeling really yucky in motherhood. And ultimately, this negative opinion of ourselves drains our willpower. So all these pieces start to really work together. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Question, what's the first thing you do if you had an extra hour in your day? Read a few chapters of that book, start painting that guest bedroom, tackle that pile of laundry, play a card game with your kids. A lot of us spending our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. If you're feeling stuck, therapy is something that can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. Therapy is a wonderful thing. It can help you learn positive coping skills or show you how to navigate properly setting boundaries. With BetterHelp, it's easy to get started. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try and visit BetterHelp.com slash 1000 hours to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash 1000 hours. Everyone wants to start their year off on the right foot. And for me, that means making sure I'm eating well and have enough energy to do everything I want to do. But I'm not going to run to the butcher every day to get a fresh cut of quality meat. That's why Good Chop is such a lifesaver for our family. Good Chop offers fully customizable boxes of high-quality meat and seafood delivered to your door on your schedule. Their products are vacuum-sealed and frozen at peak freshness, so you can stock your freezer and cook when you want. We had a somewhat last-minute get-together recently, and it was so incredibly convenient to just head to the freezer and pull out a couple bags of Good Chop's hamburger patties to whip up some burgers quickly. They were so delicious. Besides being delicious, it's important to know it won't cost you a fortune either. Good Chop's price per meal starts at just $3.74. Go to goodchop.com outside120 and use code outside120 to get $120 off across your first four boxes. That's code outside120 at goodchop.com outside120 for $120 off. Goodchop.com outside120 code outside 120. Mm -hmm. And so you helped her, you helped her to transform her story. Mm -hmm. It's really just a small twist too. Like you said, being slow can be a great thing that you're stopping and you're really getting things out of life, but they were focusing on the negative parts of it. You're not snapping too, basically. 
Yeah. And and part of, you know, creating a new relationship with our picture in our mind is changing where we focus. I like to liken it to like a caricature. Um, we've all seen caricatures of presidents where like certain qualities are really accentuated. Right. We tend to do this in our own self-image and we accentuate a lot of the negative. So it's it's about resketching it, but it's also about changing where we focus. How can we sometimes broaden our focus to incorporate all the big picture perspectives? And then also how can we zero in on the ways that we're really showing up for our kids in important ways and then the ways that we're doing a really good job. I really like this, Morgan. Thank you. It makes a lot of sense to take these concepts and to frame it in a way that probably most of us have experienced. We maybe experienced a teacher snapping at us in a situation or we've experienced <laughs> a situation where we've not been known and then to make sure that we're applying it to ourselves. Rely was an interesting one too because that was a story about the ant. But I just, I liked this concept of which I haven't really thought about. Like, I don't think we really express our needs much, but you say it's our job, like express your needs. And I think what's scary about it is you don't know how the other person is going to react, but that doesn't really matter. You're still supposed to do it. You're still supposed to do it because how can they love you well if they don't know what you need? Mm -hmm. There's a lot of messages that we've been fed about what it means to express our needs and fears that we have creep up around, you know, coming off the wrong way or things like that. But really in our relationships, if we are not clear about our needs, then we are almost guaranteeing that we're going to have them unmet Mm -hmm. or that we're going to build resentment in our relationships. And we're also like not giving the person a chance. Mm. And that's really what I wanted to talk with Effie about is like, I know, you know, uh, your aunt has really good intentions and has a love and a heart for you, but we're not really letting her into the full story if you don't share this with her. And I think that's part of it, too, is giving your relationships the best chance possible. And then, right, that th- that's the scary part, though. You don't know how they're going to respond. That's when we have different choices, you know, uh, when they don't respond in, in ways that we want is we can... We can push a little harder depending on the relationship Mm -hmm. and um, advocate a little bit harder for our needs. We can go somewhere else for these needs. Um, I'm not talking about in your partnership, by the way, just for a full disclaimer. But, (laughs) you know, but sometimes we have needs where we maybe will go to a friend for a need Mm -hmm. um, that we can't get met in certain ways. And sometimes this might be a need that we have to meet ourselves or we might have to shift our expectations of the relationship. So then we're, you know, then we have options. It's not as if they meet it or they don't meet it. And then we just crumble. You know, we have things that we can do uh, in those moments, but mm-hmm. I do think we have a responsibility to share what we need with those that we especially love the most. Mm. And once again, you're getting information. Yeah. Like maybe that person is not the person that's going to be able to help you. So then you got to go somewhere else. And, and that takes us to touch. We talked about commit, which was a lot of the, parts about prioritization and willpower and touch this is when you're talking about you had such cool ideas in here about stress and stress juice and stress cycles (laughs) you say we aren't closing loops yeah and this is where you kind of start to talk about some of these other ideas like art or movement so what do you mean when you say we aren't closing loops? Yeah, so it's funny. This comes, it's talked a lot about in another book called Burnout. And also like I'm actually reading this, I'm having some inflammation issues. I'm reading a book about inflammation. She's talking about it in this book too, which is much older. So it's really interesting to hear it presented in different ways. But you know, we've heard a lot about stress. Our bodies mount a stress response to lots of things, not just lions and tigers, but imagined and hypothetical situations. And our mm. body has a physiological response where different chemicals, are released, um, our digestion slows down, all these things happen. Now, 
We're built so that we have a heightened stress response, which is protective and good for us. It's supposed to be good mm-hmm. for us. But then we eventually have a relaxation response. We come down from our stress. I think I use the example of if when you ever walked a dog and another dog like jumps out at it and it kind of you know rah, 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 goes crazy. And then as you continue walking, all of a sudden the dog will stop and it will shake really hard. That is a release. That is completing wow. the stress cycle. That is a release of that stress juice. It's moving it through through its body and it helps us to come down. But in our Western society, we don't do that very well. We like ride the wave. We never complete the loop. We go from stress, full response, you know, back to school stuff to right to the morning of back to school. We're running late to mm-hmm. hustling in to get on an interview to I didn't get to my emails. Like we're just going all over these mm-hmm. waves of stress, never completing the stress response cycle. And so this leaves us really down the path of burnout in this chronically exhausted, um, heightened state, um, which is really not good for our bodies and for our minds. Mm. I love that visual of the dog. (laughs) Yeah, it's helpful, right? It is. (laughs) So you give a bunch of different ideas. One, obviously, is sleep. Uh, There there was a sentence in here. This is such a huge sentence. It says 42% 42 (laughs) of your day should be spent resting. Yeah. 40, that's all. Yeah, yeah, right. But it, <laughs> but it definitely opened your eyes. Like, look, maybe we should be chilling out more. Yeah. I mean, it includes your sleep time. So yeah. in case people are like, what the heck? But um, yeah, we, we are not good at chilling out in our culture mm-hmm. at all. And I think we pay a big price for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and you do such a good job. I mean, I think getting in nature is part of a way of completing yeah. stress response and being outside and grounding and all of these wonderful things that are accessible to us if we just walk through the dang door. So, I mean, there's lots of ways of incorporating this stuff. One of my favorite is humor. Hmm. Humor is an excellent way to complete the stress response cycle. It's one of my most used tactics with our children. <laughs> they are hilarious children. I'm like, that is, my husband is really funny. And so they've passed, he's passed that down to them, which I'm blessed to get their jokes on the daily. But um, a lot of times when they're activated, and I'm not making light of things, but we'll start cracking a joke about something. And it's like, immediately you see their bodies kind of, you know, release and um, them reach this relaxed state. When I was pregnant, and um, with Effie going through a lot of stressful stuff, I'd I'd go on walks and I'd listen to, at the time it was Pandora's comedy station. <laughs> it was like, wow. you cannot be stressed out when you're laughing. I'm sorry. Unless you're doing a crazy laugh and that's not the same thing, but you cannot be laughing and be all cranked up and anxious and stressed out. And so it's a, it's a really helpful tool actually hmm. um, that we can easily access. Yeah. And you wrote in here, it lets your body know that you're safe. Yeah. I love all the different ideas here. Also, people can come on your website mm-hmm. and see you dancing <laughs> and find your Spotify playlist. Yeah. So this is fun because a long time ago, I started movement and dancing is sometimes how I decompress. Um, or even with the kids, if we're having like a moment, I'll be like, we need a dance party. I'll just crank it up. And so I shared that with moms in my community and they, um, I created a playlist and moms just started adding songs to it. So it's been curated by other moms, songs that they use to decompress. Mm-hmm. Lots of awesome ideas in here. Even this was interesting grooming and self care that that can be a way to release stress, which I thought was interesting. I never heard of that. And then obviously just being creative. Art therapy helps reduce cortisol yeah. levels, activate a state of flow, distract a room in it, 
ruminative ruminative Ruminative. i know that's a hard one mind (laughs) but then you related it like when you talk about with all these you relate it to kids you talk about how like when our babies have gas and you know you bicycle Mm -hmm. their legs like you do something yeah you try and burp them and you bounce around and it's like this thought of but we don't do any of that for our own selves no and i think you know i talk about i think in there about how the majority of people diagnosed with autoimmunes are women and there's lots of reasons why this is the case but one one hypo, you know one hypothesized reason is for the high amounts of stress and i even think back to my own early pains in dealing with some of my my issues health issues and gosh i think i had back pain for like two and a half years before i did something Ooh. about it and turns out it wasn't my back it's my intestines and so wow. um my gut and it's like So how often are we not listening to our bodies when they are speaking very loudly to us and we're shoving these messages away? But if our child came to us and said, my stomach hurts, would we say, give it two years and we'll get to you later? You know, like we would never do that, but we regularly do that with ourselves. And so learning how to mother ourselves like we mother our kids becomes really the theme throughout the book and um, Mm -hmm. just a really kind of simple way to think about how to do these things. It is a simple way. And it's it's almost like you give the words for basically saying like we're chasing after the wrong thing. I think we're chasing after like a feeling of having it all together. Yes. But like we're not ever really going to have it all together. So instead, chase after this thought of caring for ourselves and think about how we care for our kids and how can we take some of that and care for ourselves as well. And then beyond that, then that's going to help you with your other relationships, like your marriage. Mm-hmm. And that's a big thing that you talk about outside of this book. Yes. Yeah, I talk about that outside. And then I have another book that will be next, which is on the mental load. So I'll talk about marriage and couple stuff more in that book. But yeah, you're exactly right. I'm glad that that comes through. It's always nice to hear people reflect back to what they got from the book. So I'm like, that's what I meant. But did people get it? <laughs> and so, yeah, I mean, it's it really is normalizing a lot. Of, I think I'm hoping moms feel that a lot of their experiences are normalized. When we normalize yeah. it, it takes the sting out of it and it takes the intensity out of it. It's like, oh, this isn't just a me thing. This is a thing. And also really embracing this idea of you don't need to have it perfectly put together, but can you become empowered enough to regularly kind of tune those dials and recalibrate when you need to? When you Mm -hmm. feel empowered, this stuff doesn't feel like such a big deal. It's like when when you've got access to tools and you know what to do, it's not a big deal if you get lost in your kids. You know how to find your way back. I love that you wrote there is no final destination because I do think that for a very long time of motherhood, I was trying to kind of get back to the pre-motherhood stage where like I had a really good rhythm and I knew what to expect every day for the most part. You kind of just think like, oh, when they get older, I'm going to get back there, but you don't. And it doesn't (laughs) ever, sorry to break the bubble for anyone who's thinking, I just don't think it does. But I like that you say that that's not the point. The point is not to reach some final destination. The point is to stay in touch with yourself and help you evaluate where you need attention the most. And in doing that, you really are modeling incredible habits for your kids so that they can take some of those things and take them on into their adult life. Morgan, this is a fantastic book. Love your kids without losing yourself. Five steps to banish guilt and beat burnout when you already have too much to do. It's available now wherever you buy your books. People can find you in two different places, drmorgancutlet.com and my love thinks which yes. i think is really special that you do that with your dad and both <laughs> of the websites are really fun thank you they are just beautiful websites easy to navigate and have really cool other things beyond yeah. like relationship advice i saw one thing that said 
why do relationships feel so hard? Mm -hmm. And they do. They can. They really can, right? Yes. Feel Uh, so hard. So these are practical things that people can come and find the help that they need now for the problems that they are experiencing. So thank you. Morgan, this has been just such a treat to get to know you. And I'm excited that you're coming out with another one. Do you have the title for that one yet? Or is it just in the preliminary? Prelim- well, I kind of did, but I think somebody else snagged it up before. So oh, we're, no. we're working on a new one. That's okay, though. That's okay. Just kind of got to flex. But yeah. yeah, I do want to say on my website, I have lots of free tools for people too. So I encourage them to check that out. Yeah. Um, that conversation around the mental load, I have a free guide on how to navigate that. And so mm-hmm. people and the playlist, out. the Spotify the playlist. playlist. I know. On Get on. And people can watch you dance. <laughs> oh, gosh. Please don't watch me dance. <laughs> no, it's great. It's great. There's a video on there. Okay, Morgan, Thank we always. Uh, it's awesome. We always end our podcast with the same question. And so Ooh. this is like talking about the stress response and closing the loop and getting outside it can help for certain situations what's a favorite memory from your childhood that was outside oh oh my gosh so I grew up on um, a a property of a company it's kind of wild they're a tractor company called MTD I grew up in Ohio so we lived in this tiny little farmhouse but then in our backyard was like tons of uh, land as well as parking lots and roads, but they were all gated. And so I feel like I grew up with like my own city. It was really (laughs) fun. And um, the owner of the company had this garden and he was kind of like a real life Mr. McGregor where he was like really grumpy about his garden, but he gave us permission to use it. And so I would ride my bike through all the little roads after everything was closed and I would climb up if they felt like mountains to me they weren't in Ohio they're not mountains but it felt like it climb these big old hills um and go to the garden and pick blackberries and I just felt like so independent and grown up and had so much fun exploring so those are some of my best memories what cool freedom I love that Morgan. <laughs> yeah, that was really fun well this has been such a delight I loved your book huge congrats Thank you. so neat that there's already a second one in the works and this is just such helpful information for mothers who are struggling like with all of these common struggles you just you you get them all you don't feel like a whole person in your family you don't recognize yourself anymore you feel generally uninspired I mean I was like check check I mean <laughs> this is how we feel and you give such a beautiful way through it's not necessarily a way out but a way through so thank you for your time thanks for being in here thank you so much i appreciate this oh hey everybody it's us blair and molly your old pals from toddler purgatory two moms who are also actors who are also creative beings who sometimes feel stuck. And this is our new podcast, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. What happens when your creative spark just seems to disappear? Gone. Poof. Bye. See ya. What happens when life gets in the way of your creativity instead of nourishing it? That's what happened to Molly and me. We felt like the thing that drove us creatively stopped working and impending doom had in fact impended. Totally. So we decided to do something about it. And that was steal ideas about getting unstuck from the most creative people we can find. We talk to guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. And we're not just talking Bob Ross type paint on paper artists here, though we talk to them too. We're talking to actors, creative directors, dancers, and people who are working hard to be their best creative selves in a world that can sometimes feel 
real uncreative. We all have something to teach each other, so let's steal their ideas together. Join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Pandemics, school calendars, world events, lack of sleep, oh, get out of their life gunk. And let's get back to your best creative self. Subscribe to Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. You're not going to want to miss an episode. Unsticking it with Blair and Molly because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking.